You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 41. I remember one of the exercises from class about like anything you can do for 60 seconds, the passage of time and how to like manage that idea was also really helpful to me, you know, because contraction 60 seconds. So it's like, okay, it's here. Let's get through this one. And then, you know, just put that one away and then enjoy whatever break you get between. And then like, okay, the next one's here. So let's just deal with this one for 60 seconds and then forget it and put it away. So that cognitive work was really helpful to me and in helping to prepare, right? Because like you think about it, yeah, you can probably do pretty much anything for 60 seconds, right? And that's really all that's required of you. You have to get through that one contraction for 60 seconds and then you're done with that one. And welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please know that we welcome your feedback on the show. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what you'd like to hear or learn in future episodes. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at birthmattersnyc, or you can email us at podcast at birthmattersnyc.com. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Today, Yulia will share both of her baby's birth stories. She shares how she made the intentional choice of working with a practice of in-hospital midwives, as well as hired a doula for both births, as this was the kind of birth team she felt could help her have the kind of physiological births she hoped for. While she didn't plan or hope to have two inductions, that's how things played out given unexpected circumstances in each pregnancy of low amniotic fluid and then the pandemic. She shares details on how she was able to cope with both medical inductions with non-pharmacological pain coping techniques using some of the techniques she knows intuitively and as a clinical psychologist, as well as with the support of the team she so carefully chose. Now let's jump in. Welcome to the Birth Matters podcast. Today I have with me Yulia. Welcome, Yulia. So glad to have you here. Thanks. Happy to be here. Would you like to share with us how long have you been a parent? You're going to share two birth stories today, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how long have you been a parent and maybe what you do for a living and maybe, you know, the area you live in as well? Yeah, I've been a parent since March of 2017 and I had my second baby just this past May. So he's almost 12 weeks old. I'm a clinical psychologist by trade on an extended leave right now, but that's what I've been doing for like a few years now, which I think has been really helpful in my birthing experience. Also, I live in Queens. I kind of grew up here, moved to Manhattan for a few years, and then me and my husband moved back here to like be closer to my family and have our kids here. You were in Queens when you took birth class with me, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So you had already done that. Did you do that move before you got pregnant with the first one or after? No. While I was pregnant, we moved and renovated our apartment and lived with my parents for a few months. Oh my goodness. While we were doing all that. So that was fun. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So. And I'll just mention that Yulia shared her written first birth story with us about three years ago. 
that I invited her to share it verbally because you'll hear different details. I'll link to the written birth story in the show notes for this episode in case anyone would like to read that version of it. Why don't we start off with sharing any ways that you prepared for your first labor and birth versus your second? Were there differences in the way that you prepared? Sure. Yeah. So my first, I sought out some midwives and they were an awesome team, Central Park Midwifery. I really loved working with them. I went there first for some like regular GYN care just to kind of check them out and see if they felt like, you know, a good fit. And at that time they were delivering at Sinai West, which still had the birthing center. And I was really interested in giving birth there. So that was another reason that I picked them. Unfortunately, I think they closed that down in January of this year Mm -hmm. um, to do some renovations. And then the renovation stalled because of COVID. So like a lot of stuff has changed, but they were really awesome. And I really connected with them at the time. It was Joe and Elaine. And so luckily I had both of them at my birth. So that was really cool. But right now only Elaine is still there for my original team. Mm-hmm. How did you discover midwifery care, that model of care? I have a friend who is a nurse and she had been going to them and I have never really been happy with any of the OB care that I received. OBs that I saw for just general, like well women stuff or prescription, you know, birth control, whatever. They wouldn't really listen. They were kind of pushy, like not really like listening to my concerns or saying like, no, you have to come in every six months for a refill or yes, you have to do a pelvic exam every six months. I'm like, that's just not what's recommended. I know the literature and I don't know. I've never had really good luck with them. So she was like, hey, you know, I go to this midwifery practice on the Upper West Side. So give them a try. And they really aligned with kind of what we were looking for because they were very evidence-based, which I love, but also they're like hands off, but in a very smart way, in an evidence-based way, which I think was really what drew me to them. Um, I love that description, hands off in a very smart way. I love that. That really speaks to me and what I liked in my midwives. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, and they're also lovely people. So that was also, it was like very easy to get along with them and be really comfortable, which is what you really want when, you know, people are like touching you and doing all this stuff. And they're also very respectful. So I did my preconception counseling there. And then a few months later, I was like, Hey guys, I'm pregnant. And they're like, cool. I'll see you in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, they were really, they were really awesome. Another thing I did definitely was the preconception counseling. So kind of talking to them about like vitamins to take or what to expect. We also did genetic counseling because we're both Ashkenazi Jews. So like to just kind of rule out any sort of genetic predispositions. So we did all of that and, you know, they were on board with all of that stuff. And so from then on, we just stuck with them for care. So that was great. And then when I, we decided to have a second child, I went back to them They've also been doing my GYN care like the whole time, like IUD and all that. So I went to them to get my IUD removed. And then a few months later, I'm pregnant. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They've had some staffing changes, but all of the midwives are really awesome. And then Elaine is still there. So at the time we're recording this, it's late July of 2020. And I just noticed on social that they hired a third. They were down to two and now they hired a third midwife. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for them. I want to meet them because I've been going to them for GYN care, but Joe was who I had been seeing. So I need to go back yeah. and 
meet a new one. <laughs> I know Elaine, though. Elaine's wonderful. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, so I think Chloe left and now Jenna started. Another way that I, I prepared was definitely partly just kind of my training as a psychologist. I do a lot of CBT work, uh, learned a lot about DBT, so kind of how your thoughts impact your emotions, right? Like a lot of radical acceptance work. So the idea that pain isn't necessarily suffering, which is a huge help in labor because it's Mm -hmm. painful, but that does not necessarily mean that you have to look at it as suffering or something that's terrible or needs to be stopped or altered in some way. And also a lot of mindfulness. So like diaphragmatic breathing and, you know, breath work and stuff like that, which is a huge part of my training you know, in school and with my patients, but also in labor. Like that was a huge, huge help through both labors. Also, obviously taking your class was a huge way in which Noah and I prepared. He took so many notes. That's funny that you brought that up. I was going to bring that up because I was looking back at my notes that I had kept and it, it said, Noah took meticulous notes, <laughs> which I love, of course, as a teacher, you love to see people being that engaged and really caring about supporting their partner well, you know, so I loved that. <laughs> yeah, he took so many notes. And so before both labors, we kind of reviewed them. I don't think I took any notes, but he definitely like, ev- like everything was notated and organized. And I think that was super helpful. I remember one of the exercises from class about like anything you can do for 60 seconds, the passage of time and how to like manage that idea was also really helpful to me, you know, because contraction 60 seconds. So it's like, okay, it's here. Let's get through this one. And then, you know, just put that one away and then enjoy whatever break you get between. And then like, okay, the next one's here. So let's just deal with this one for 60 seconds and then forget it and put it away. So that cognitive work was really helpful to me and in helping to prepare, right? Because like you think about it, yeah, you can probably do pretty much anything for 60 seconds, right? And that's really all that's required of you. You have to get through that one contraction for 60 seconds and then you're done with that one. Yeah. (laughs) You're done. You're okay. And I love that you're a psychologist because you came to class and entered your pregnancy and labors with an advantage over a lot of people because you really get that strong mind-body connection and the value of doing that work to get to a place of trust. Yeah, and especially kind of how you think about a situation really changes how you experience it, right? So if Mm -hmm. you're going into labor, kind of open to it and open to the fact that like, yeah, it's painful, right? Like it hurts, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be terrible or awful or like you have to suffer through the experience really changes, I think, how you're able to cope with it, right? And I had two very long labors, 22 hours and 16 hours. So like, I needed to hold on to something. And that was kind of the mantra. Okay, like, I'm going to get the baby at the like, this isn't suffering. This is just something that like, I have to deal with right now. And then eventually, it was over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it Did- does end. Yeah. Did you see that study that just came out recently about the pain coping gene? No. A student brought it up last week in class. And then it, later that evening, it showed up in my feed. And apparently 5 to 7% of birthing people have this inherited gene that helps them not perceive giving birth as painful. And I was like, I wish I had that gene. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but at awesome. the same time, it's more complex than that. Like we're talking about, there's so much that you can do to make it more manageable. 
You don't have to have the gene to be able to, you know, cope well with labor. Right. Yeah. In my first labor, I was sort of prepared by doing all the dates, like eating the six dates at, at the mm-hmm. end and mm-hmm. the evening primrose oil and all the teas. And I had several membrane sweeps to try to jumpstart everything. None of it particularly worked for me personally. So the second time I decided to just kind of wing it a little bit more. (laughs) So I also started a workout routine. There's a Peloton behind me, which really helped out, I think, the second time to get me into more physically ready space for an extended birth. I didn't work out the first time, but I I spent a lot of time working out about half of my second pregnancy, which I found really helpful. And I really wish I'd done the first time. So you traded in the dates and the evening primrose oil for a Peloton. That's a pretty, (laughs) that's a nice upgrade. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then the pandemic hit. So it was great because we couldn't really go outside. Right. Couldn't really do anything. And like, you know, you start to kind of go a little bit stir crazy, you know, March, everything kind of closed basically. And I didn't have the baby till the first week of May. So the Peloton really helped like just working out and moving, like it helped kind of keep me going in that way too. So. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you mentioned yet that you hired a doula for both of your births, right? Yes. Yeah. I had hired a doula for my first birth because, you know, it was highly recommended by CPM and I had a great doula who's unfortunately no longer a doula, but now a midwife. And she was actually doing some of her work with CPM during my first appointment. So that was cool to see her there. Kara Pauls, she's amazing. I was so excited to see that she was working with CPM. Yeah, yeah. And I actually got to see her at my first prenatal appointment. So that was really awesome. And she did my whole intake appointment. And I was like, but you were there. Like, she's like, oh yeah, I know everything. Oh, how fun. For your second pregnancy, got it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And the second time I was like, kind of on the fence about um, getting a doula and I talked to Elaine about it a little more because she was there for the majority of my first labor. And she was like, look, how would you feel if it was just you and Noah in the room? And I was like, okay, I will be hiring a doula. (laughs) She was just so helpful. She helped both of us so much that I was like, okay, yeah, I think we both need like the doula support for the second time. I interviewed a few doulas and the one that I really connected with was her name was Audrey Jessup. She's on my recommendation list. Um, she's awesome. I'm really glad that I got a doula. I mean, unfortunately, there was some questions about whether she would even be able to make it to the birth just because, again, COVID hit, then, you know, New York State was not allowing any support. Then they allowed partner support, but no doulas. And then just a couple of days before I was supposed to give birth, they allowed doula support. And so I had a long conversation with her about her comfort levels about being there because COVID like in a hospital and, you know, Hmm. her safety is important too and all this, but Mount Sinai was actually testing all doulas as well as all support people and people in labor. So she was able to make it. It was actually the first time I saw her basically since I interviewed like in person was at the COVID test (laughs) the day before my induction. So it was pretty wild. But I think doula support was just so integral to getting through both labors. Mm-hmm. They both mm-hmm. had some twists and turns there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which we're about to hear. Well, with yeah. that, did you want to add anything before you start going into your first birth story? 
No, I think that's basically like I, I covered the major points of how I prepared for both. And like I said, reviewed your class notes again the second time. So, you know, I think we were kind of prepared to go. Great. So in terms of your first birthday, start wherever in your pregnancy you want to start, but tell us how you went into labor. Yeah. So it was a pretty uncomplicated pregnancy. Everything was, you know, some nausea, you know, whatever, nothing too crazy. We had done your class. We had done, you know, our prenatal visits with Kara at the time. We talked about like laboring at home and, you know, when to show up at the hospital and all that kind of stuff. And I talked about it with CPM too, right? Like if you go into labor, what to do if your water breaks in the middle of the night and all of all of this stuff. And we were eager, you know, I stopped working at about 39 weeks because it just gotten to be like, just too hard to keep sitting because I just sit all day, obviously at work in therapy. So, you know, I stopped working and we eagerly waited for the baby. And then there were snowstorms coming and Joe was like, okay, like, let's do a sweep. You know, maybe you can jumpstart this labor. I think it was like 39 weeks and change. I don't remember the exact date, but it was like late, late in 39 weeks. I'm like, let's do a sweep. Nothing. It was like 40 weeks. And they're like, okay, well, you know, any day now, let's do another one. I'm like, okay, let's keep going. And, you know, still really nothing. So I had to start going to the biophysical profiles at the hospital, as well as the non-stress test, because I was already past due. And at this point, I was still really hoping to be in the birth center, because at that point, I think they cut you off at 41 weeks or something around that. But there was a cutoff that they wouldn't take you in the birth center after a certain point. But like, we were still kind of going strong. And I went for the ultrasounds at 40 weeks, and then 40 weeks and like three days. (laughs) And then you know, almost 41 weeks. I think it was 40 weeks and six days. It was like, because it was 41 weeks on a Saturday. So I went that Friday and the non-stress tests were looking good. And like, I was talking to the midwives and I was seeing them multiple times a week and we're like, baby looks good. His heart rate was like really steady. Waters look good, right? Like everything was totally fine. We're just like, let's just keep kind of going and seeing what happens. And so I had the biophysical profile on Friday And then I had some Braxton Hicks, but nothing was really sticking and nothing was too painful. It was just kind of contractions were coming and going. And then it was 41 weeks and two days on Monday when I went in that morning and like Noah went with me and he was going to go to work and he was in a suit and his tie and like, like, all right, well, baby's not coming. So just going to keep going to work after this. And so we went to the hospital and, you know, they did the non-stress test and it was like, oh, it's fine. You know, baby's responding well, you know, walked me over to the biophysical profile. And then the tech was like, hmm, like, let me get the doctor. We're like, oh, okay. So we're just like sitting there, like hanging out. He's like checking his work email. Like, oh, I got to get into the office. You know, it was like 9am or something like that. And then we hear from the hallway, the doctor talking to, I think it was Joe, who was on call that day being like, uh, I have your patient here and uh, she really needs to have that baby today and you need to talk to her and like, you know, kind of get her in before he even come in to talk to me. So we were just like overhearing him from the hallway, which was not super pleasant. So we're starting to kind of freak out a little bit of like what's going on. And he came in and he's like, well, you know, you have low water. 
we need to get that baby out like today. Can I trust you to go upstairs and get induced and check into triage? It's like, I'm not a child, you know, we're like, what, like what's going on? It's like, yeah, you know, baby needs to, you know, come out. So Noah from all of his copious class notes knew to take a minute to ask a question and to kind of slow things down a little bit. So he's like, well, can we talk to, you know, we're going to talk to our midwives, you know, I don't remember exactly what the doctor said, but it was kind of abrupt about it. And he's like, whatever, but like, you just need to get the baby out. And so we called Joe and she was like, yeah, you know, I just talked to him and it seems like the water's pretty low and it's already 41 weeks and two days. So it sounds like we probably should do an induction. And I was like, what do you like? Do I go upstairs? Like, what do we do? We didn't have any of our stuff. It was dressed for work in a suit and tie. And she was like, how about like you guys go home and you meet me back at the hospital today at like, you know, two o'clock, but like go home, have lunch, get your stuff, come back. Like it's not an emergency that you need to get this started right away. That kind of helped us not panic as much. So it was good to know that if she didn't think it was an emergency that like we had time to go home and kind of get our stuff together. On the way out of the hospital, I called Kara to kind of let her know that, you know, we're going to need her that day, basically. You know, we came up with a plan. We took an Uber home from the hospital to our apartment. I called my parents because they were both at work. No, Like, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen that day. And so they both came home from work to drive us back to the hospital. I took a shower, like kind of get myself together. We ordered a pizza, <laughs> like had a pepperoni, like a few slices of pepperoni pizza. Because, you know, I figured it was going to be a long day, a long night. So we're like, all right, let's get some pizza. We had some garlic knots, you know, got finished packing our hospital bag. And, you know, my parents drove us back to Sinai. And then we went upstairs to triage and, you know, tried to check in. I sent my parents home because I didn't really want anyone hanging out. And like the idea of someone waiting on the birth to be done just seemed really overwhelming. And my mom's still not happy about it. But she's just gonna have to deal with that (laughs) she still brings it up but uh, whatever (laughs) but at that point it's kind of what I needed to mentally get through this so we kind of got checked in Joe was already there at the hospital waiting for us you know she greeted us and it was nice to like be greeted by somebody that you already know and have a relationship with so that really calmed us as well and then we went in I got an IV I tried to get the IV put in kind of higher in my arm, closer to the elbow, but he hit a nerve. It was very painful. So we had to backtrack and I had to put into my hand, unfortunately, which is kind of annoying. It took me like a week to get normal feeling back in that arm, but whatever. And it seemed like you had trouble with the IV the second time too, yeah, right? I have the worst what? thing. What? Oh. <laughs> that can sometimes be painful if they're having trouble finding a vein. Yeah. Yeah. And the second time she's like, oh yeah, the vein rolled. I'm like, what, what do you want? Like, what am I supposed to do? Right. (laughs) Is there something I can do about that? (laughs) Yeah. Like my, my history with, with veins is awful, but it worked out. I finally got it in. It was fine. And I also had, I was PBS positive both pregnancies. So that also kind of affected things because I needed to get the antibiotic treatment at least two doses, four hours apart before delivery in order to be considered treated. So that also played a a role into why I needed an IV. Did they wait to do the antibiotics until your water actually broke? They started it earlier because I guess they kept assuming I would have the baby at any point, which 
Even in the first labor? Yeah. I didn't get my water broken until it was just about time to push just because there was so low water. They didn't feel comfortable breaking the water Mm. earlier on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Joe gave me an exam. It was like, I was one and a half centimeters or so. So very, very minimal for 41 plus weeks. And the baby was still pretty high up. So I think negative three station, she said, from kind of what the notes were. No, I was taking copious notes throughout both labors as well, which is helpful because then, you know, like a lot of the details get lost and you forget because of all of the adrenaline. So I was actually Mm -hmm. really grateful that somebody was at least keeping track of the time and everything that was going on. Yeah. Um, Yeah. In my doula work, I take notes as much as I'm able to just to try to help piece that timeline together because otherwise it's hard to remember a timeline at all because you just, your head's not there, right? You're in labor land. Yeah. And the clock is thankfully behind you. So like, I I knew it was there, but obviously I'm not going to check it. So it was like the time kind of goes out the window. So basically Joe decided to start with some Cytotec and a Foley balloon to kind of help get me to like at least three or four centimeters to kind of get stuff going. The Foley balloon was not my favorite. It kind of gets strapped to your thigh, like kind of- The um, tubing, right? Yeah. The tubing Mm -hmm. for it. So that was unpleasant. Was it uncomfortable administering it or you just didn't like that tubing or was there more to it that you didn't like? Yeah. Administering was, it was kind of unpleasant. I think she like overfilled it a little bit and then the tubing was uncomfortable. And then once you get anything started, you have to be a hundred percent monitored at Sinai. So you have to be on the contraction monitor and on the baby heart rate monitor. You're kind of stuck to them. And it's not wireless. No. That restricts your movement a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And you also cannot go to the bathroom, even though the bathroom's in the room. I don't get that. Like, why can't you get off the monitor just to go pee? Right. Yeah. Sinai's the only one left that still does that. That's what Audrey told me later, but what are you going to do? So basically they set up a bedpan on a chair in your room that you have to use. Your partner really has to help you out a lot with that stuff because you're not going to call a nurse in either for every single time you have to go pee. So that really sucked. You also can't like use the shower, right? So like a lot of options start to get closed off in terms of coping. You're basically stuck to however far you can get from your bed on your either IV pole or the monitors, which unfortunately is not that far. I've worked there as a doula, but I guess never with continuous monitoring. So I just hadn't experienced that certain protocol before to realize that was a thing there. (laughs) Hopefully they'll change that at some point. (laughs) I know it's the continuous monitoring and not being able to get off for two minutes to go to the bathroom. Like what could really happen? Yeah. So that's what we were dealing with at the beginning. The contractions started coming, but they weren't really like taking my breath away too much. So I labored for a few hours. We talked to Kara in the meantime. She came at around like 8 p.m. that night. She helped because we figured it'd be easier for her to just kind of show up and help through the labor. We didn't know how long it was going to take. And also just logistically for her, it seemed easier to come and spend the night and kind of be there throughout the whole thing. So she came in, she kind of darkened the room put up the little LED lights and stuff because it was getting late. We turned on the TV and like we're watching, I think, Dancing with the Stars. So that was like like a nice light thing to kind of get our minds off of it because it was still technically early labor, but we were in the hospital and if I could get some rest and be distracted, it was fine. Contractions were starting to come like every five, seven minutes. So they were pretty irregular. 
and still not particularly like painful or anything. They were just kind of like coming and going. I tried doing some side lying to try to pick things up a little bit because they were starting to kind of stall out a bit on the on the monitor and stuff, which worked for a little bit. And so by like midnight, 10 hours into this whole thing, it kind of started to become continuous and getting a little stronger. By 1 a.m., the Foley balloon was coming out. So I think it had kind of come out, but nobody had noticed or hadn't checked. So for a few hours, I wasn't able to like go to the bathroom at all. So that was really uncomfortable. Once the balloon came out, it was a big relief. I mean, I was able to use my potty chair. <laughs> I don't know. Wee! Uh, <laughs> I know. But then I could also get off the constant monitoring for a little bit because I was no longer, I guess, in induction mode. Labor was kind of progressing naturally or, you know, my body was kind of doing it on its own so they could get me off the monitors for a few hours. I was still only like three to four centimeters at that point, 70% faced or something. And then baby had only moved down to negative two stations. So it was still really slow going. It was dark outside. It was the middle of the night. Like I had lost all sense of time. I didn't really know what was going on, but things to kind of seemed to still be moving along just very slowly. And at some point during that time, I started getting like really bad shakes, which like no one talks about it. Like, you know, I added it to my teaching since you took class with me. Yeah. Oh, good. Like I had no idea what was going on. And it's not like you're cold. You're just like your whole body's convulsing and you just have no control over it. Basically, Mm -hmm. Kara said that was great. It meant (laughs) hormones were Yep. It's all hormonal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That hormones were surging. And I was like, it's great, but it was very unpleasant, very uncomfortable. It happened in both labors, but at least I knew kind of what to expect the second time. Because mm-hmm. I really just, I hadn't heard of it. And like your body starts doing something you have no control over. It gets kind of scary. Yeah. It's hard in teaching birth classes. I have to kind of pick the things that I think are going to be the most applicable for the highest number of people. Right. And so the more podcast interviews I've done, the more I realized, you know what, I really should add shaking to, especially going toward active labor, that that's a very common symptom. So yeah. And you're just confirming that fact. (laughs) Yeah. And Kara was trying to get me to like do some contractions like on the toilet or sidelining or something just anything to kind of keep the momentum going. And I really, really tried, but I remember just like trying to hold on to the bars because it's kind of like the handicap toilet and I just couldn't really, because I was shaking just so hard. Like it was hard to move. It was hard to talk. Like it was hard to do anything. Just trying to manage it as best as we could. I'd also been on, you know, bags of saline and stuff. So I started to get really swollen. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Kara was like, told me later that she was really freaked out by my feet because they were just like little balloons. (laughs) Just because they push so much saline during labor when you've got like any sort of induction happening that, I don't know, it must have been like just bags of that stuff. I definitely remember looking down and my feet were just like, like if you fill up a glove with water and stuff, that's just what it looked like. So she was doing like a lot of massage, like neck massage, foot massage, just trying to kind of keep me comfortable and kind of keep me going. And, you know, contractions were definitely like taking up a lot more, you know, mental space, but like just trying to get through them and stuff, just trying to get through like each one. And that mantra that I spoke about before really helped with just like, let's just get through this one and then not think about it anymore. We tried not to even say like, oh, that was a big one. Like that was that one. Okay. We're moving on to the next one. 
And I found that really helpful because it just didn't get me stuck in any particular contraction. It's just kind of helping me move through the whole thing. We tried the scarf technique, but it didn't particularly help. She said it's because I was a first time mom and like, I guess my belly was just still too high up, but we did some neck massages, anything to try to kind of relieve some of the physical pressure because you kind of notice it afterwards, just how tense you were the whole time. Like even if you're not doing that much, like your neck is stiff, like your arms are hurt, like everything just becomes very, very tense. And then at about 4 a.m., so the next morning, Joe was kind of checking me again. She'd come in to see like how things were going and contractions were slowing down. I kept feeling that it was, I was in constant pain, but like the monitor was showing that things were slowing down. So they decided to do another check and I was about like four and a half, five centimeters. So still not that close yet, considering how long I'd been in labor for at that point, about 12 hours or so. And then Joe decided to start Pitocin, you know, and I asked her like, you know, I was really freaked out because you hear all these really terrible like horror stories about Pitocin of how like it's kind of built up as this thing that's kind of insurmountable. And then she's kind of mm-hmm. telling me that, well, now we have to start this thing that sounds really, really hard. But it really has a thing, stigma, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. But, you know, I kind of asked her to, to wait like a couple of minutes and I talked it over with Noah and with Kara. They were like, look, doesn't seem like there's much of a choice. Like, this seems like the right thing to do. Like, there's obviously a choice, but like, this this seems like this was the right call at this point. We've been in labor for a long time. We need to do something to keep Mm -hmm. it going. So we started at some Pitocin at like 6.30 in the morning. They took off the hep walk for a bit and then started antibiotics. And then because I was back on Pitocin, I had to go back on the constant monitoring. So my movement was restricted again which sucked, but she was kind of like between doing that and breaking my water, but because I had low water and that's the reason for the induction, she just decided to go for the Pitocin. And since I trusted her and CPM, it was kind of like, okay, like if you're telling me this, then this seems right. Yeah. Isn't that nice to work with a care provider where if they are recommending interventions, you can really readily trust that they're being conservative, that they're not just being flippant and being quick to intervene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, we even though it's not the, what you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, and, and they knew that. We talked the whole time about like, I don't want to do an epidural. I don't want an induction, but like, here we are. It was all kind of an exercise in learning how to be very, very flexible. <laughs> yeah, that's birth and parenting too, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so basically we started some Pitocin like very little. She said she was going to start very low dose and then like gently try to go up if necessary. I think it was like two units or whatever. And at that point, it, my son's heart rate dropped a little bit. So it was like 110 where it had been consistently at 130. But again, Joe was like, look, we just started the drip. I don't think they're related. Let's give it a few minutes. We'll monitor it more closely for the next half hour. But he rebounded and it was just some random dip. So she also gave him time to kind of catch up a little bit, which is good. And that's what I always liked about them, that non-alarmist, like, let's give it a minute. Maybe this is a fluke. Look, you know, I think she gave it like half hour, but it was just a random dip and he rebounded and he was totally fine. 
within that next half hour. That's another thing I love about midwives as well as any OBs who are lower intervention, more hands-off is that continuous monitoring usually does put us at an increased risk of a C-section or other interventions. But if you hire a good care provider that you really feel like you can trust, they're not going to be as quick to have a knee-jerk reaction when something like that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was really stable. And then he ended up keeping the 130 heart rate range for like the rest of the labor. So obviously, it was just some random thing that kind of happened. So his contractions were starting to get closer together and getting a lot stronger and they were starting to increase Pitocin, but thankfully they didn't tell me because I think that would have really messed uh, with my head a little bit, but thankfully, you know, Noah was kind of watching it. So I found out about it later. So they went up to eventually like eight cc's because again, the contractions would get closer together and like stop, right? Like they would increase in intensity and then slow down. And it was just kind of this really frustrating, like, back and forth of just my body not getting its act together at this point. Like it would just get, it was getting very frustrating for me to have them get more intense and then less and then get closer together and then space back apart. It was just getting to be like quite a waiting game at that point. And then by, I guess the next morning, like later in the morning, Elaine came to take over for Joe and it was about like 10, 15 in the morning. And uh, I was still only like seven or eight centimeters dilated, eighty percent effaced, and baby still was a negative one. So like, he was being pretty stubborn, and I'd been dealing with contractions for so long already, hooked up to a monitor, right? Like all of the stuff, and it was just getting really hard to cope. Oh, my other baby woke up. That's fine if you need to go get your baby. No, I think Noah's got him. I left some milk, so she'll be okay. The nurses kept coming in and asking me, like, what's your pain level from, like, zero to ten? Like, in the middle of a contraction, they would, like, keep talking to me and saying, like, you know, we're not really picking it up on the monitors outside in the nurse's station. Let me readjust. Are you having a contraction right this second? And, like, touching me and, like, moving the monitors around. And, and it's, like, the worst thing to be touched while you're having a contraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was just horrible. It was like, was like, oh my God, like, like, or don't talk to me. Like, don't look at me. Just let me get through this. Especially since most of my coping it, it was kind of breathing through them and like going very inward to cope. Mm-hmm. So having someone take me out of it and like ask me, what's your pain scale right now? You're not in that headspace. <laughs> no, I was like, it's a contraction. It's a lot. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It was getting really frustrating. I'd already had like three or four nurses at that point and they'd all been getting on my nerves. I, I was just getting really frustrated at the whole process. And at some point, I guess his either his head was low or something or like something was off that like, it just didn't feel like there was any break between the contractions. It was just this constant pain in my pelvis. And they're like, oh, there's no contractions. I'm like, well, I'm always in pain. So I don't really know what to tell you. It was just just really frustrating to kind of deal with that medical intervention side of it, like not the stuff that I was able to choose, but you don't really get much say of what's going on in the hospital kind of around you. So even though technically the contractions were a few minutes apart, it really felt like it was just one long feeling of just painful. I don't know how to better describe it. And one of the nurses kept offering to do like counter pressure or something. And I was like, I just need you to like leave me 
have a husband, I have a doula, just leave me to do my thing. And so that was, that was really getting frustrating. So anyway, then I didn't really have any back labor or anything like that. It was really just everything was in the pelvis and just very pressured. By like 11 a.m., I think I started to have the urge to push, which is such a weird sensation because people tell you like, oh, you'll know when you want to push. And then you actually do like, you know, if you haven't experienced it before, it's really hard to describe, but it's like, oh yeah, like there it is. Yeah. I, I need to start pushing now. Like I need to get this baby out. And at that point, Elaine broke my water, which is basically just a long, looks like a knitting needle <laughs> with a little hook at the end. And they just kind of put it in there and it's like, Boop. um, Nick it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt or anything. And I didn't really feel like anything. And then there wasn't really any water that came out. So at that point, we're definitely like, yeah, that's the right call to have induced the baby because we just didn't have any amniotic fluid left. Mm-hmm. And going back to how you knew you were entering the pushing stage, by that, do you mean just a feeling or did you get the urge to push or what was that like more specifically? Definitely feeling like the urge to push. And I just remember before that kind of, I vividly remember the feeling of like, oh my God, like I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't think I'll be able to get through this. Just wanting it to kind of be over. I don't remember when, but at some point I asked Elaine if I could just die. And she said, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't let you. (laughs) Not allowed. (laughs) I was like, okay, that's fine. That does Um, sound like transition. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I just want to die. I want this to be over. She's like, no, you're going to be okay. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I guess I was like cracking some jokes in the midst of all that but I kept wanting to start pushing and she checked me and she said no there was like a lip of the cervix that was still left and she was afraid that if I started pushing at that point that it would inflame it more and make it harder and longer to push him out so we were just trying to do some breathing and hoping that the contractions would help ease that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, that happened with me in my first baby as well as just one side of the cervix was a little bit still not effaced. Did the midwife Elaine thin it out manually or? No, I think she was just waiting for the contractions to kind of mm-hmm. do it for me. So she was just trying to get me to like keep my chin down, breathe, like try not to push, you know, if I can help it. So hard if you're feeling that urge. Yeah. And I just kept asking, like, is it over? Like, (laughs) please let me push. (laughs) Yeah. Like how much longer? And then she kept using her iPhone flashlight to be like, Uh oh, I'm still still not done. (laughs) (laughs) And she was just like sitting on the front of the bed in front of me, just on the yoga ball. She was the one using it. I wasn't. (laughs) And at some point I think they gotten like another thing of the, of the antibiotic bag going. So like, I was all treated or whatever. I think I must have gotten like three or four bags at that point because I kept thinking like, baby's coming any point now. And he wasn't. So like Elaine was kind of just trying to keep me from pushing through it too much. I think at some point I asked for, like, oh, I, I would like some like medication now or like some oxide. She's like, no, it's too late. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, very resigned to the fact that like it's just gonna have to you know get through the rest of this thing because I think nitrous was an option at Sinai I don't know if it was still 
be with the pandemic, but I imagine no, probably not. But ACOG has put the kibosh on it. They've said, sorry, the aerosolization factor has made them suspect that it's not safe to use right now. So they've said, nope, not for now. I actually wonder if that's going to end up being a permanent thing. We'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully it will come back at some point. Yeah. Basically, I was just like, okay, I want some help now. Like, I'll take the meds. And they're like, no, it's too late. You're like nine centimeters at this point or 10 or whatever. Like, it's almost baby time. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess that's fine. And so by like 1.30 or something like that, it was apparently time to start pushing. And I tried sitting on the birthing stool. They got me one. Uh, They found it somewhere on the floor. I found it really uncomfortable. So after like one or two contractions. I was like, nope. Carol was really encouraging me to go like on all fours and push that way. And at this point I'd been in labor for like 20 something hours. So I was just really exhausted. Sure. I tried to do some contractions like on all fours, kind of facing the bed and, and things like that. But by the time it came time to push, I was just too tired. I was like, just, I, I just want to sit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So they got me kind of in the bed, like not fully reclining, but kind of like sitting up and Kara had, was on one side and Noah was on the other side. He wasn't too thrilled, but what are you going to do? And so why is that? Oh, he was hoping to like not be so up close, but uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't really have a choice. At that point I started pushing and I just, it, it's really also kind of a strange sensation of like, there's not really pain anymore at that point. It's mostly just like kind of a lot of pressure and a lot of relief between the contractions, which is different than it felt during the act of labor and transition where it just felt like contraction upon contraction upon contraction. And Elena was trying to coach me on when to push and kind of like press down here or do whatever. Like, And then she was trying to kind of stretch the perineum to kind of minimize the damage. And I saw her working hard at doing that. But it just kind of felt his head going in and out, in and out. It was just this long and frustrating process. I felt him come down and then between contractions, he would kind of go back up and go down and then like back up. Pushing lasted for about an hour or so. And towards the end of it, Elaine was like, look, I know you don't want this, but I think we have to do an episiotomy because we had talked like less intervention and blah, blah. And she was like, look, if I don't do this, there's just going to be more damage at this point. He's stuck on like a tiny, tiny bit. As soon as I do this, I think he's going to come out. And that's one of the very few true medical indications for an episiotomy. If it's going to cause more damage, if you naturally tear, then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So she was able to control it. And she was like, do you consent? Is that okay? And I was like, I don't care at this point. Just cut me, whatever. Like, I just want to be done. Um, and so but she I love did. that she asked you if you consent because a lot of right. care providers wouldn't. They would just do it. And sometimes they wouldn't even bring it up that they're about to do it, which I think is unethical, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but she so definitely asked. She definitely asked. And I was like, yeah, whatever. At this point, I'd been pushing for a long time. And it just felt like he was stuck. Like, it just felt like he wasn't mm-hmm. able to kind of come out. And as soon as she made the small incision, out popped his head in the next contraction. So definitely 100% the right call at that point. And then apparently he had the cord wrapped a little bit around his neck. Um, mm-hmm, so she was able to kind of, yeah, maneuver that off. Even though um, it sounds scary, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But it, there didn't seem to be any issues with it. His heart rate was steady. He was totally fine handling labor really well. And then like I pushed and she helped pull 
the rest of them out. And as they were kind of bringing him up in a very like, you know, Simba in the Lion King moment, he pooped <gasps> everywhere. <laughs> he was like, here's your baby. Meconium on my arm, my leg, everywhere. I'm hearing the music in my head from Lion King as the poop is descending. (laughs) And then, of course, because meconium, they have to check the baby. We were going to do the delayed cord clamping, but Elaine was able to kind of wait a little bit because it was clear even to me that he pooped as the rest of his body was coming out. Like, that's when the poop came out because it was not on him, basically. It was just mostly on me. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Yeah, great. Um, Get used to that, mom, right? Yeah. Um, Induction into parenthood. Oh, yeah, totally. And it was this very surreal moment where they plop a baby on you and you're covered in poop and he's screaming. You're like, what is going on? And so I was holding him and then Noah cut the cord and she was able to kind of help push the blood back in for the cord and stuff. But because of the meconium, after they did that, they had to take him to like be looked at right away just to make sure that he didn't inhale anything and do like some suction and stuff like that. So it wasn't that like magical, like I get to hold my baby now moment. So that was, you know, that kind of sucked. But like at that point, I was just in so much shock after delivering the baby. I don't think I registered too much. And then Elaine, of course, had to stitch me up and She's very, very meticulous about it. I joked with her in my second labor. I was like, this is going to take a while, isn't it? And she's like, I have, I have to make sure it's like really perfect. Like it has to look, <laughs> it has to be, it has to be perfect and great. Like I need to take my time. And at least and she gets like, it right, right? <laughs> yeah, no, she does. And it was great. I had to like make small talk with her about, I don't even know what, like she's like stitching me up and the baby's over there. Noah's with the baby. I'm like, I guess we have to chat. Like, you know, when I did, redid my bathroom, I put a like a bidet shower in. I was like, oh, that'll be nice to use that. I don't know. I was just making conversation because it's such an awkward time. Like all of these tools are in the room and the spotlights are on overhead and it's like your midwife sits you up the baby's not in your arms so what do you do you you kind of pass the time I, guess. I don't know it's very strange but then eventually they you know they gave him back to me and it was still kind of a shock for a while I think you kind of expect it'll be like some immediate thing and you know I don't think it gets talked about enough that sometimes it takes a while to really like internalize that you just had a baby and to like feel bonded and kind of feel that connection. And definitely, I think it took a little bit of time for me to really like fully get in there, probably like a week or two to really like understand that this all happened. This is all okay. And like, Mm -hmm. thankfully, a friend of mine had mentioned that earlier, like, don't feel Mm -hmm. bad if it's not something that's Mm -hmm. immediate, like it will come. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just happened and your body went through a lot. Yeah. These days I always mention that in class because it is so important for people to not feel guilty if they're meeting their baby and they're like, who is this alien? I don't know you, (laughs) you know, and it, and a week or two is actually pretty quick. A a lot of people, it takes months to really grow into that feeling of connectedness. And that's also another version of normal. So I think that's really important for expectant parents to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. And also it was just very helpful to kind of note that because you're becoming a parent in that moment. And like this person was inside of you. Now they're outside of you. Like, it's just such a strange paradigm shift. And they're like, here's your kid. And like now breastfeed and now do this. And like, it's so overwhelming, especially I think the first time I was more ready for it the second time, obviously. But the first time you're like, what just like, I haven't 
process what just happened. Like, and now I have to take care of this person. I haven't slept in a day. Like, it's just so, yeah, just like so much stuff that's going on at the same time. Isn't it a strange thing about like perception of time is subjective, of course, but there's so much time leading up to the birth. Then when it actually happens, it all feels very condensed and rushed and like sudden, you know, like, yeah, what? wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's something interesting to mull over a little bit and figure out what's in that, that yeah. we can grow and learn from. Yeah. yeah. So that was basically my first experience and was very mm-hmm. happy with my care providers you know, it was a hospital birth and it was, you know, all these cascades of interventions, but I still felt respected the whole time and felt mm-hmm. like it was a good experience overall. Mm. Yeah. That's what's important that you feel respected and that it overall was good. As you go into parenthood, we need that, right? Yeah. Before we hear Yulia's second baby's birth story, a brief word from this episode's sponsor. We want to be sure you know that Birth Matters has been teaching interactive, live, virtual group and private classes through the pandemic. And the cool thing is you can participate from anywhere as long as your time zone is compatible with New York Eastern time. Group childbirth classes are the best way to build your confidence and prep for an amazing birth and entry into parenthood. It's also incredibly valuable to connect with other expectant parents to build your very important support system. You'll spend quality time with your labor support partner from the comfort of your home on Zoom as you prepare for not only birth, but also for your best possible postpartum recovery, as well as early parenting with classes on lactation and newborn care techniques. We offer all-in-one comprehensive series as well as one-day topical classes. To learn more or to grab your spot, visit birthmattersnyc.com. Now back to the birth story. All right. Birth story number two. I can't wait to hear all the details. Launch right in. Yeah. So we obviously decided to go with CPM again because we had such an awesome experience with them last time. And I got a doula, Audrey, like in January. So I was like all set to go. Like I'm going to have a really different experience this time. Like I really wanted to go into labor naturally and kind of do all of the things that I didn't really get to do the first time. Also just trying to get like have more intervention, less worth experience. And everyone's like, yeah, and then it'll be faster and easier. But then, you know, in March, obviously COVID hit and, you know, things were starting to really change like in the city. And at some point, one of the midwives, Christina was like, look, you know, if you want, you can think about doing an induction, like a scheduled one, just to kind of have some control over what's going on. Because at some point, you know, I had to have someone watch my older kid who was three at that point and like it was starting to get a little bit complicated of who was going to do that because someone had to be quarantined or like all this other stuff just kind of started cascading and so I was mulling it over and they're like oh you know you might be able to break your water and you'll have the baby in a few hours from then and like all this other stuff so we talked about it a lot and eventually as COVID started to get worse you know it was March and it was April it was getting kind of crazy so we decided like okay let's get some control over the situation because I thought it would be very stressful. I was also GBS positive again, so I would need the antibiotics in order to do an early discharge. You know, there was so much confusion in that time of like what the hospital policies were, like what you had to do for COVID testing. There weren't enough tests. You couldn't have a support person. You could have a support person. It was just like everything was 
just constantly changing all the time. Half my prenatal appointments were on Zoom. It was a very, very different third trimester experience than the first time. And, and then, were you working in these last few weeks of your pregnancy? Were you working as well? Yeah, yeah. I was working from home. I was doing teletherapy while Noah was also working from home. So it was just a mess. And we live in Queens. So all we heard was like sirens going off, like yeah. ambulance sirens all the time. We're pretty close to Elmhurst. So it was just like, it was a scary mess the whole time. Originally, the plan was that my parents would watch Henry, like our older son. But then my dad still had to go into work. So they weren't a safe option at that point. So at that point, we're like, okay, Noah's parents can take him, but they live further away. They live in Jersey. All of our doula prenatal appointments were on Zoom. So we didn't really get to hang out with her or kind of, you know, do any of the in-person stuff. You know, everything was kind of virtual. It It was just a very different experience in that way. So eventually we decided that like, look, let's just go with the induction. Because at that point, if you had an induction, you could get the COVID test the day before, and there would be a lot less restrictions on the hospital stay. You wouldn't have to wear full PPE the whole time. Like, it's huge. Right. Especially the masks. <sighs> right. They recommended that I wear a mask, but I wasn't required, and I didn't end up doing it. So that was kind of the big difference. So I was like, okay, well, at least I already know what an induction is. Let me see what happens. So we decided to schedule an induction. It was... 39 weeks and six days. So he was full term and I was able to schedule it with Elaine who had done my, my first delivery and a bulk of my prenatal appointments with my second pregnancy. So that was also something that was like, okay, like this is something we can like feel good about and hopefully it'll be a quick labor and, you know, kind of easy and whatever. And by this point it was like the first week of May. So things were calming down, but the hospital still hadn't lifted any restrictions. We went to get our COVID tests, all three of us, the doula and me and Noah. So at least in that point, like we felt like we had some sort of control over what was going on in this kind of really weird time. So, you know, we got to the hospital. My in-laws took my son the day before. So we got to kind of relax the night before the induction. It was scheduled for, I think, Wednesday at 10 a.m. So, you know, we got to relax, order in some dinner, like just have a quiet day after we got our COVID test. Obviously, we were all negative. So Wednesday morning, we we went to the hospital. Noah had to wait downstairs while I went upstairs with my paperwork, had to silent triage area. I was the only person there. It was like super weird. But Elaine was already there waiting for me. And, you know, we were running a little bit late, but like, it's not like they can start without me getting there. So <laughs> they did another IV, another failed IV. I had to do it on the other hand. I was there with like a little baggie of ice on my hand, like icing it. So it stopped hurting. And so I talked to Elaine. I was like, well, how are we going to do this? And she was like, well, we could do like the Foley or we could go straight to Pitocin. But at that point I was like two centimeters dilated. And I was like, well, let's just skip the Foley. Let's go straight to Pitocin. Like, I don't see the point of of doing this. It's just going to be uncomfortable. Like what's the point? She's like, well, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I prefer, you know, that's really what I would prefer. She's like, okay, let me talk to the attending. She was basically 50-50 and she was like, whatever you feel more comfortable with, we can just go with that. So the attending agreed, I think. And so we started with Pitocin and I got hooked up. The potty chair was set up again. Um, favorite place. <laughs> yeah. So that was like really, really fun. And then I remember like, as she was stitching me up in my first labor, it turns out that my bladder was so full that she like had to cap out like 
a thousand cc's of urine. That's probably where a lot of the pain was coming from Mm -hmm. um, towards the end of the labor of just like the bladder being full and not being able to empty. So this time I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm going to go pee a lot and like really keep an eye on output and like all this really fun stuff. So, you know, they started the Pitocin and it was just like kind of choke contractions. It started coming pretty regularly, like five minutes apart or something like that. They had me on like all these gizmos, like trying to keep the monitor from slipping. So they kept upping the Pitocin and it was like very mild and it was like two and then four and then six and then eight. I was bouncing on the ball, doing all that kind of stuff. And then I called Audrey and was like, look, I'm at eight, like eight, whatever units of Pitocin. You know, maybe you should start think about coming soon, you know, because eight was where I tapped out with my first labor. So I was like, oh, maybe it'll like be pretty soon hereafter. So Audrey came at around like three o'clock. And the contractions were starting to get stronger, but so I was able to kind of mentally pop out for it and pop right back in. So nothing too crazy, but it was nice to kind of see her in person and hang out a little bit also before like the real kind of hard parts of labor were coming up. So I thought it was good to have her there earlier. Then it was like 10 cc's. No, he was still at negative two station at that point. So I was like, okay, so 12 they kept bumping it up every like 45 minutes or so and I was coping pretty well it was just kind of getting tired just because we had to get up early and kind of get to the hospital and stuff so I decided to like lie on my side for a little bit Audrey was trying to get me to like keep the contractions going so we turned off the light tried to get some rest it was like four o'clock or something so I was like okay maybe not like that much longer to go but I started to get like really bad heartburn which plagued me like the whole pregnancy. So as soon as I started the sideline contractions, the heartburn hit really badly. And they gave me some like the liquid and acid stuff that they give you before a C-section. And so it was really nasty, but like it worked, but eventually that wore off too. And we we're just like hanging out, just like, you know, the only way that I could tell the passage of time was the blood pressure cuff kept going off next to me because it was really painful when the blood pressure cuff was going off. Like, I don't know, they made it really tight. So I just put it down next to me. And so every 30 minutes, Audrey would like jump up, wrap it around my arm and like take the blood pressure and like take it off again. And the nurses were not too happy, but we were being fairly compliant. So they let me kind of go with it. But at that point, I think that still the blood pressure cuff hurt more than the contraction. So, so it was pretty slow going still. I was sitting on the ball. I was trying to move around. Like I was bouncing on the ball while sitting up the edge of the bed, like leaning forward, you know, moving the bed around, all this other stuff. Um, and were those things like self-led or were those things Audrey was recommending or were they, was it, was it a combination? It was a combo. Sometimes she'd recommend something. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm tired of like standing, you know, uh, I need to sit down for a little bit. Because again, like time is such a weird thing at that point. Like at some point I'd be like, how long have I been doing this? She's like, oh, it was like 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, that's why I'm tired of standing. I've been like doing 30 minutes of contractions, just standing around. And, you know, I would try to like lean on the bed to try to cope with the contractions. And then I would go in my little potty chair and uh, they were very excited. One of the times there was blood. So we're like, yay, that means something's happening. Baby's moving. That's great. Audrey's like, look at that like little baby bed over there in the corner. Like you're going to have a baby in there soon. I was like, yeah. Okay, cool. So, you know, because that's what everyone tells you, but it was not unfortunately to be. At that point, I was starting to get like nauseous. 
and just like really uncomfortable. And it was like seven o'clock or something. And I was still only like three and a half centimeters dilated. But Elaine did a check and said like she could feel the bag of water was bulging, which she said meant that the baby was descending. So he was getting closer. And she asked about breaking the water. But I asked her if I could have some time to like think about it because everyone, including them, was saying like, okay, once you break the water, you know, especially as a second time mom, it's going to escalate very quickly and you'll have the baby very soon. And for me, it was like, oh, so I have to basically consent to things getting worse very quick, like more painful and more uncomfortable very quickly. A hard Um, thing to want to sign up for. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, can I have some time to think about it? She's like, okay, but it's really going to like help speed stuff up. And Audrey agreed, but I was just like, it was like a mental leap that I just wasn't prepared to take at that point. So I just decided to wait a little bit longer. And then a little bit later, I also had some chest tightness and it took us a while to figure out it was a heartburn that was back again. So they had to like push Pepsid in my IV, which finally was like the only thing that actually helped, but it was like hard to breathe and my chest was tight. And like another thing, I was like, I how am I in labor and having heartburn? Like, what is going on? Yeah, because the baby's supposed to be lower at this point. So you would think there's not so much crowding creating that heartburn. Mm-hmm. But it was like so intense. And I was like, oh, like what is happening? <laughs> so it was like a couple of hours. And then by like 9.45 or so that night, I was like, okay, you can break the water. Elaine and the nurse eagerly were like, okay, like, let's get the show on the road. My poor nurse, she was really holding out for me to have that baby. She ended up missing her it. shift. <laughs> yeah. She was so sweet, but she kept coming in and asking me questions. And then was like, oh, wait, you don't have an epidural. And I was like, yeah. Could you wait like a second? She's like, yeah, I'm so used to all the moms having epidurals that like, I forget that some don't. Yes. Give me a minute. But she was, mm-hmm. the nurses were a lot sweeter and calmer this time. So it was oh, um, good. It was a more pleasant experience that way. And then I started to feel the shaking again. And I was like, okay, that's great. Like, this means progress. So we, you know, we celebrated that a little bit. And then uh, soon after that kind of subsided a little bit, she was like, okay, you know, we should probably break the water. And so I consented to that. And again, they came in, but um, this time it was very different. And it was just this huge gut, like, again, not painful, but just this huge gush. And it was so gross. It was like uh, hot, hot fluid, right? Yeah, hot fluid that just like gushes out randomly. And you're like, oh, is that? <laughs> yeah, because uh, you didn't really experience that the first time. With no, the there fluid. wasn't any. <laughs> and then she, they kind of put a pad in there and, and they saw that there was like a little bit of meconium. And I was like, oh no, is that like, what does that mean? And Your like, babies like to poop early on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was very reassuring like this whole time. And she was like, it just means pediatrics is going to come down when you're pushing and then they're going to check out the baby and that's it. Like, just like before. Yeah. She's like, it's going to be fine. Like there's not that much. It looks like it was just like a little bit of trace of it. So it was very nice that she was again, like very just calm and reassuring and like, all right, like it's fine. And also this whole time she wasn't telling me like any centimeters or anything. This is all stuff I found out later uh, through Noah's notes, which I think was really helpful to just not get that in my head. Like, I didn't see how much Pitocin was there. I didn't, like, I was just kind of going through labor as, as it was happening. That's so good to know, because as I was reading the written stories, I was thinking, my goodness, she was really in her thinking brain to be getting all this much detail. So that explains it, that Noah was writing down those details. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I noticed was, like, every time the blood pressure monitor was going off, 
I knew if 30 minutes had gone past. That's like the only concept of time I had. I was like, oh, another one, my God. But yeah, so she was just like very, she was very calm and very reassuring. So I started doing some more sideline contractions. They're like, okay, things are supposed to speed up now. And there was, there was just no difference. It was the same like constant chugging along of contractions of like, you know, two, three minutes apart, lasting about a minute, like nothing intensifying, nothing changing, just random bursts of liquid coming out like at random times it was getting very frustrating and it was getting to be like close to midnight and I was like, like what is happening <laughs> why is there no baby here yet which i think is another thing of that expectation that was kind of set up through no fault of anyone's right like even just knowing other people who had like oh i was in labor for five hours or six hours the second just kind of flew out it doesn't always happen that way apparently Yeah. And I honestly really think that a lot of times when we've given birth before, if we go into spontaneous labor, we're much more likely to ignore it for longer and not call it labor. That was true for me. I felt a contraction at like 1am with my second baby, but I didn't really count that as labor starting because I was able to sleep for like four hours or so. And so it wasn't until four and a half hours later that I woke up I was woken up by stronger contractions. And that's when I started the clock. So I actually think that had it been my first labor, I would have counted it (laughs) at one o'clock, you know? So because you were induced, the timing's going to be different because you you know that you're being induced. So you're on the clock. Plus inductions just tend to take longer. No, totally. And it was definitely like, it was stressful to kind of know, but also because it was an induction, the contractions were coming very quickly. It was like only a two, three minute break for many, many hours versus like I imagine what would have happened if it had been a spontaneous labor wouldn't have been clustered so close together for quite such a long time. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, That's hard. It was really helpful to have my doula there and my husband there and just like trying to talk me through it. I found it mostly helpful to kind of do the breathing work and kind of I was doing some tapping at some point of like the hospital bed, just when they were starting to get like really a lot more painful, a lot more difficult to cope with and focusing again on that little, little baby bed thing that they have in the corner of the room. There'll be a baby and it's going to be okay. And Audrey helped me kind of focus mentally on that stuff as well. And then I was telling her that I was having some pressure in my pelvis and she was like, okay, that's great. Like everything's pointed very well, but you know, it was still like five hours from the birth of the baby. And then I remember Noah crunching pretzels very loudly. And I, at that point, I was like, if you don't stop eating, I will kill you. Like, I was like, I can't do this. You have to stop chewing. Isn't that, it's so funny in labor, how different smells can really bother us or sounds can bother us. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts that I highlighted in your written birth story was Noah was chewing pretzels loudly. The chewing was very annoying. (laughs) It's so bad. You can smell the pretzels and pretzels don't have a smell. Like, it's just. Every, all your senses are just super weird at that point. <laughs> but Elaine said it was a lot nicer to him this time than the first time. So I don't even know what I could have said the first time. I must have blocked that out. <laughs> so then she helped me maneuver the hospital bed into this like throne position. Just another plug for the midwives that they help you kind of get into all of these funky positions in the bed. And the bed goes into all these weird things. You know, I would never have thought to do that if it was just like me and Noah, like who knows how to operate sure. this bed. Uh, you know, sure, like, yeah. So I was in that for a while and that was helping to kind of bring the baby down because it was an easier way to kind of use gravity because I was just kind of sitting in like a 
I guess a throne-like way, um, a little bit more supported. So that was good, but it didn't really help to move things along very much. And that was frustrating again, because this was about like 2 a.m. at that point. And then I started to get really nauseous and started throwing up, which again was a really good thing because it creates a lot of cervical change. It's okay. But like throwing up and gushing water and having a strong contraction all at the same time, though, was just, there's just, there's so many sensations at that point. Audrey was trying to get me to drink water and I was like, no, water has too much flavor. Like, give me the ice chips. <laughs> so you know, funny. Because like, they were hydrating me with the IV bag, but they're like, you have to kind of keep drinking water too. I was like, no, I can't have water. It's too too much flavor. At that point, like everything feels weird. It's also weird the second time when you kind of have this metacognition of like, oh, this is the transition phase when you start to feel like you don't, you know, you can't go on anymore. So I had this weird fight with myself. Is this really transition? Am I just telling myself it is? Because I know what to look for mental it was kind of a strange mental space to be in, which is different than the first time. Because you weren't being told the dilation or hadn't been having cervical checks recently or what? I knew I was like, oh, I can't go on. Like started to have those thoughts. I was like, am I forcing myself to have those thoughts? Am I really having these thoughts? Yeah. Um, So I guess it was like just too much awareness, I guess. And again, just wanting to be done already. That Mm -hmm. that was a predominant feeling. I was like, I just want to be done. Like I just need this to be over. Elaine took out the flashlight on her phone and was like, no, you're still like at eight centimeters, but like really soon. And it was just like, oh my God, like I've been doing this forever and I'm still not there yet. And they were like, but that means like really, really soon. And it still was like three hours away Hmm. Uh, (laughs) because at that point it was just like 14 hours of labor or something. So it was just kind of mentally it was more of a head trip, I think, than the first time. Well, and were you feeling at all, I'm just curious, with everything that's going on in the world, with COVID and everything, was there anything in you that was like, just give me a break? Like, (laughs) all of us need a break right now. And so I deserve a shorter birth. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this was supposed to be short. This was supposed to be easy. Like, I just want to get it over with already. Like, I'm done. Like I'd been stuck at home with like a three-year-old, you know, and like mm. hugely pregnant. I was like, I, can something just be easy for once? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so at some point, I guess I asked Elaine if there was something medical I could do or take. And she was like, I'm not even sure what that really meant, but like, no. Like, do you really want to consider the, I remember being like, do you really want to consider those options right now? And I was like, No. <laughs> you just needed to say it yeah she was like I didn't think so and then I was like okay like walking trying to you know cope with the contractions I saw the Pitocin was at 14 which I guess they were like kind of hiding from me at that like nobody was saying it they were just like coming up and bumping it and I, well, I was noticing it so that was kind of a mind trip as well I was like oh my god that's so much like I mean I where did you max out at the last the first birth uh eight. Oh wow so this was like 14, and I think at some point they might have gotten even higher. I don't remember, but oh, this is just getting to be so much. And then by like 4.30 in the morning already, I was a face, but the baby was still high up. And she uh, convinced me to do some more sideline contractions. And so I just remember like a flurry of her and Audrey moving like this thing and that thing and getting the stirrup out and like sideline with one leg up on the stirrup and like 
some weird acrobatic thing that was happening. And I think that's where her and Audrey bonded. She was like, oh my God, it's so great working with you. I was like, guys, I'm like, come on, like focus back a little bit. But as soon as I got into that sideline position, I don't know what happened, but it was just the worst pain that I'd had the whole labor. Um, I just remember it being so bad that I was like banging on the, like the bed and pulling the sheets down. Just like, I was like screaming and I wasn't supposed to, but I couldn't help it. It was just like the worst part of the whole thing. What do you mean you weren't supposed to? You can be loud if you need to. (laughs) I was just like, it was really, that was like the worst part, but I remember that very vividly. And then at some point they let me get out of that position so I could use the bathroom chair and on the chair I I guess I had like a moment of pushing or something at least that's what Audrey said later she was like I think that's the first time I heard like you were actually starting to push like I had zero control over it it was just like oh like it's coming and I'm pushing so that's when they knew that things were getting close and then at like around 5 30 I guess in the morning Elaine said I think it's time I guess she was checking me at that point all of a sudden everything was getting rushed in like all of the trays of all the equipment and the lights were on and you know all this flurry of commotion was happening and then she was like I can see it ahead I didn't have any energy to try anything besides just laying on my back with like both legs up I was like I'm tired just get this baby out and I basically just kept pushing for the solid like 20 minutes it was I remember the first time him going in and out I was like I'm not doing that again Without breaks? <laughs> I'm going to keep pushing for as long as I possibly can. And Elaine was just like, do whatever you got to do. She was like, apparently there was a little lip left. And she was said that she was going to help me. Like, she like, hold on. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not letting him go back in. I'm just going to push him out. This is almost over. That's it. Like, not stopping. But I think in like 20 minutes, he was out. She was like, oh, let me, nope, okay, you're going to keep going. All right, all right, never mind. <laughs> she was like, just do what you got to do. And I just remember the ring of fire. I didn't really have that the first time, I guess, because maybe the episiotomy or something. But this time, she was just like, okay, just like stay right here. Stay with this. Just go slow. And I was like, just cut me already. And she was like, I don't have to. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. And then eventually he came out. I had it like a small second degree tear or something. So I think it just tore the scar tissue from the episiotomy, which was very common. But she was like, I don't have to cut you. Just keep pushing. It's fine. And then Audrey was like, it was only four minutes. I was like, not to me. It felt a lot longer. And then I felt the body come out with like a plop almost. And I was like, oh, thank God. So he came out and like, three or four pushes maybe, but like continuous ones. I was like, just not stopping. And then he was kind of purple. Like, I don't know, I guess he was struggling a little bit. He didn't yell or anything. So then rushed over to like clean him up and warm him up and get him going. Um, and he was okay. But after Noah cut the cord, they had to take him again to get suctioned. And they got a bunch of meconium out of his lungs, but he was okay. It was another big baby. My first was eight pounds, five ounces. This was eight pounds, three ounces. So not little dudes. Um, <laughs> and so it was finally over and I was uh, started shaking again at that point. And Elaine was like stitching me up. And it was just like definitely a lot more connection or emotion or something like it, but it felt quicker this time. Like in that moment, I was like, Oh my God, I love this baby. Like, this is my baby. I get it now. Like it was a very different experience than the first time. I kind of knew what to 
what was happening a little bit more. But I wasn't able to hold him for a bit just because of the shaking and the shaking mm-hmm. and stuff. But and she's like, "Okay, now time to look for the placenta." And I was like, "I don't want to." So apparently, I was a bit obnoxious towards the end, but it was fine. <laughs> but that was kind of the end of it. And then all of a sudden, everyone leaves the room, and it's just quiet. <laughs> and I definitely remember noting that the sun was like, "Oh my god, it's silent." What? It just happened again the sun had come up and it was just like what is going on mm-hmm. and in light of covid did noah stay he did he was able to stay the whole time audrey went home obviously but noah was able to stay um stay the whole night and we were out there out of there by lunchtime the next day seems like most of the hospitals locally have been discharging a full day earlier than normal yeah so anything you want to share about your postpartum experiences? I had a weird thing the second time postpartum. I was actually feeling really great. I took Motrin for like a day or something. But other than that, there was not really any pain or I was feeling really good. Then like day five postpartum, I started having really terrible pain. Um, and I thought it was like a UTI, but turns out I had urinary retention. I had to go to the ER five days postpartum and they had to drain the bladder and sent me home with a catheter. So another thing, who knew? It recovered and I'm fine now, but that was definitely like a scary thing. So I learned Mm. that having formula in the house was a really good idea Mm. because I had to leave overnight and I wasn't pumping Mm. yet because it was day five. So Right. Sure. Mm. Wow. Thanks for mentioning that. So anything that you haven't gotten to share that you would like to share before we wrap things up or... Any tips or insights that you would give to expectant parents who are listening? I guess just be flexible. And just because things aren't going like the way maybe you envisioned it or like read about or whatever does not mean that it can't be a good experience anyway. And I think the importance also of having a really strong support team and um, medical team that you really, really trust. That way you're not second guessing the medical decisions. And knowing that their philosophies align with yours, I think is also really helpful. So just because it's an induction or whatever, doesn't mean that you must immediately get an epidural or like, or you can't cope or it's so much worse or whatever. I didn't really find that to be the case. I I think you can cope if that's important to you. And also again, committing is the heart of parenting. So (laughs) it's an early lesson and all that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Yulia. This has been so nice to reconnect after several years and hear both of your stories told verbally. I wish you the best as you continue to make this transition into life as a family of four, especially in these challenging times. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Bye. If you're new to the podcast or new to pregnancy, you may or may not know that midwives attend not only home births, but that some midwives work in hospitals. As you can see from this episode, midwives aren't only appropriate for a completely unmedicated birth, but in a hospital can attend medicated labors such as inductions or for folks opting for pain medications. Also important to point out, perhaps, is that in the unlikely event that something outside a midwife's scope is needed, midwives work with a hospital or obstetrician to transfer care. 
Yulia mentioned in her first baby's birth story that she had an episiotomy. In case you're not familiar with this, an episiotomy is a minor surgical procedure in which a care provider makes an incision in the perineal tissue, meaning a surgical incision in the tissue called the perineum, which is in between the vagina and the anus. In case that's got you squirming in your seat, I think it's helpful to point out that episiotomies are not done as routinely as they were a few decades ago. This is because over time, the research community has concluded that it's almost always going to be better to heal from a natural tear than from a surgical incision. So ACOG, which stands for American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the main ruling authority over our maternal health care system in the U.S., says routine episiotomy is not recommended. The episiotomy rate in the U.S. was 63% in 1979 and had decreased to 12% by 2012. There are some scenarios in which an episiotomy is medically indicated, but they are few, and they would all occur during the pushing stage. Here's the short list of three medical indications for an episiotomy. Prolonged fetal distress on the heart monitor so that it's more urgent for them to be born. The unlikely scenario that the baby's shoulder gets stuck, which is called shoulder dystocia. Or if care provider makes an educated guess and strongly suspects that the baby will cause a more severe laceration, another word for tear, than if they perform an episiotomy. If an episiotomy is necessary, your care provider would first give a numbing shot of lidocaine, and then there are two different kinds of incisions that might be done. There's the median incision, which goes along the perineum from the vagina toward the anus, and then there's the mediolateral incision, which is more of a diagonal incision, just shifted a bit so it's not directly toward the anus. With an eye toward long-term pelvic floor health and minimizing severe subsequent tearing that sometimes happens as the baby emerges, if someone needs an episiotomy, the mediolateral incision is the more evidence-based type of incision. It's good to know that with a mediolateral incision, it will likely hurt more for the short-term healing process, but still is more protective for long-term pelvic floor health. Then, after the baby and placenta are birthed, if there has been some natural tearing or there's been an episiotomy, the care provider would numb the area with lidocaine and do some suturing, and the stitches would dissolve as the area heals. As you develop your birth preferences, this might be one thing you discuss with your care provider. I would recommend wording it something like this. In the unlikely event that I need an episiotomy, would I be able to have a mediolateral incision? Or you could also first ask what kind of incision they normally do when an episiotomy is needed. And if you're curious, you can always ask your care provider how frequently they perform episiotomies as one way of helping you determine if you've hired the best care provider for you. Ideally, you want to hear under 7%. We do see a wide range among care providers in our city and country on episiotomy rates, some as low as 1%, others as high as 40%. And if you'd prefer to avoid one as much as possible, as with most birth preferences, be sure to communicate this to your care provider, particularly if they have a higher episiotomy rate. I'll link to a New York Times article that came out in April 2020 on this topic over at birthmattersshow.com, episode 41. (laughs) All right, you can stop squirming in your seat now. Let's talk about what's up next week. I'm super excited because midwife Elaine, who Yulia praised in this episode, will share her own baby's birth story as well as a bit about the midwifery model of care and how she became a midwife. So be sure to tune in to hear her great story. 
Before I play the sneak peek, a quick reminder that if you'd like to be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card to help with your holiday shopping, all you need to do is leave a hopefully positive review wherever you listen, and then post a screenshot of the review with the podcast logo to Instagram, tagging us at Birth Matters NYC. We'll do drawings on November 13th and December 15th. This is how other folks will be more able to find us, so we'd be hugely grateful for your participation. Now here's your sneak peek into Elaine's story. So here's the thing. The contractions went from like kind of uncomfortable to like kind of unbearable very quickly and changed from like 10 minutes and chill like to like seven minutes and five minutes and much more painful. And I'm thinking, well, I'm in early labor. I can't believe this is so uncomfortable. Why am I feeling like this? This is crazy. And so things picked up like rapidly, like, and at 845, my husband texts Maya to come, but she's going to just hang out, you know, in our guest space. And then five minutes later, I said, text them and tell them I have blood because now I have bloody show or something. And I'm again, just kind of like telling my husband just kind of what to say. And at this point, everything is picked up in the last hour so quickly that now he's kind of not nervous, but just like, what is happening? Like, this is not what I read in the book. As we close this episode, I invite you to linger on this bit of wisdom Yulia shared today. Pivoting is the heart of parenting. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. Have a wonderful week and be well.